Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerds sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Welcome, nerd. Are you ready to launch 149 Expedition into Nerdum? Preparing for launch? Queuing bitchin' rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now sorting refined dust crystals. Unecrypting files for comics, TV, movies, wrestling. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the amazing nerd show. Christian, happy Friday the 13th, man. Is that really something to be happy about? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is if you're a horror fan. At least it used to be, man. I used to, like, really look forward to this day. It was almost like kind of a mini Halloween, you know, where I would just always, like, plan, like, a you know, a Jason marathon with my friends. But, like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, nowadays, I just get, like, more and more frustrated with just the lack of, like, a new film. Like, I mean, mm. don't get me wrong. I'm still doing a Friday the 13th marathon, you know, but, you know, it just it drives me crazy that like we're, we're like 10 years out now from, you know, the remake and still nothing. I know there's the huge lawsuit and everything, but it just it feels like a crime against humanity. If you ask me, damn it. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's just like you don't like money. Like, what's the issue here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> these films just make money, and there's such a like, you know, installed like fandom for it. You know, just the craving the next installment. But uh, you know, what do I know? I don't know too much about the lawsuit in general, but that's what I'm imagining is is the main reason. You know, it's like who holds the rights is, and then we'll figure out if we can make a movie because that's just that's printing money. Yes, right there. Absolutely. And, you know, at first, I don't know what the issue was, but then, mm -hmm. you know, the re more recent years, it's definitely been the lawsuits. So hopefully they iron things out soon and they get past it so we can all enjoy Jason again. There's been some really great, like, fan-made, like, films lately, though. So, I mean, if you're, like, looking to scratch that itch, definitely seek some of those out. So they're really well done. I mean, it's such a simple concept. Um... Yeah, there's a new film that came out, uh, Never Hike in the Snow, that's really well done. It's amazing what, like, just, you know, some fans with, you know, a camera could do nowadays. Absolutely. So, uh, Christian, if they did, like, clear up the lawsuit and got everything back on track, who would you like to see get behind the camera for, like, Friday the 13th? Like, if we could fantasy book this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at this point, I think my favorite horror director right now is probably James Wan. Yeah, you know, okay. um, I think he could handle that kind of classic '80s horror feel without, with also you know, giving it up that fun, fresh slasher vibe. <laughs> See, I think I would want to go a little more gritty. Yeah, I would go Eli Roth, 
Um, oh. For me, it just makes no sense that he hasn't done like a slasher film. I know he's produced a few, but I want to see him like behind the camera, like writing the script and everything. Like he kind of captured the essence of that with like Cabin Fever, just like how like the teenagers and everything like interacted and everything. Uh-huh. And I know, you know, he's a huge fan of the, the subgenre. So I mean, look, just look at what he did with the little uh, Thanksgiving uh, trailer that is yes. in Groundhouse. <laughs> you know, that's what I want to see brought back to the franchise. But I, I feel like they're more likely to go with a director like James Wan. You know, if he was actually uh, interested, like why wouldn't you? You'd be insane not to. I mean, all he does is print money. So, um, <laughs> but Eli Roth would definitely be my choice, just because I no. I know he loves the subgenre. Mm. It would be, I think, it'd be a passion project, you know, for him. I I'm totally on board with you. I think he would come up with some really creative kills as well. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually kind of more like, oh man, I should have picked. <laughs> yes, and he's been um, uh-huh. I've been watching History of Horror, which is his AMC like you know um like it's not a countdown series, but it's just basically exploring horror films mm-hmm. in general and just listening to like wax poetic about you know slasher <laughs> films. I was like, why haven't you made a slasher film? This makes exactly. no sense. So, but yeah, no, that's where I'd go. But but right now it's so unfortunate because it feels like, you know, a new Friday the 13th film is just so far off in the distance. Hmm. Like, I'm just, I'll just be happy to hear that the lawsuit's over and they can get things back on track finally. And we can get more Jason in our lives. Well, hey, with that said, let's get some more nerd news into our listeners' lives. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, Christian, we got another really slow news week, so we really had to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel here to get any stories. Um, so bear with us, people. Hopefully things will pick up, you know, <laughs> after all the, you know, election brouhaha. But uh, hey, 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 wait, way to undersell these stories. Man. <laughs> well, I'm literally seeing sites recycle stories. Yes. You know, from like a couple weeks ago. So it's definitely slow out there, which I mean, rightfully so. <laughs> Um, when, you, when you start seeing the countdowns get recycled, that's when you know. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we're guilty of it, too. So, <laughs> All right. What do we got first, Christian? Well, up first, Johnny Depp is leaving his role of Grindelwald for Fantastic Beast 3. All right, Christian. So I'm going to tap out of this one. Um, this is definitely more your wheelhouse. Uh, what can you give us details wise? That's because he's a fucking muggle. Um, <laughs> I am a muggle, goddammit. <laughs> and proud. Uh-huh. So, yeah, just days off of, you know, a bunch of lawsuits and stuff between um, it was Johnny Depp and the British tabloid. Uh, it seems that Warner Brothers has decided to split ways. They asked him to leave. Um, they still had to pay him his eight figures for this role. But, um, yeah, the film was originally going to be coming out in 2022 we'll see if that still happens if they're like having to you know reshape the entire cast around that or not he is like the main villain of the franchise and like supposed to be like the big bad that you know inspired voldemort who is the main bad in the original harry potter franchise so i mean we'll see how it goes from there now i did hear that they actually did start shooting on the film like maybe he had like a scene or two so they're gonna have to completely Mm. like scrap that i guess yeah, hopefully he was on his own or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, 
So there were rumors that Colin Farrell was like up in the running since he was originally like the face of the character. I don't understand what that means, Christian. <laughs> um, he played like a hidden version of Johnny Depp's character in the first. Oh, is it like him in disguise or something? Yes, exactly. Like he was hiding how he actually looked through it. it. But it's the same exact haircut, so it didn't fucking make any difference. Like it, like if you knew what Johnny Depp was going to look like before going to this film, you knew exactly who Colin. It was it was just a really dumb twist. But yeah, continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently that's a no go because uh, his schedule on the Batman right now isn't going to allow him to return to the film. Uh, so I guess Mads Mikkelsen is one choice that the studio is really like looking into. Yeah, and I think that's a good choice in general. Um, I think Mads Mikkelsen's got a really great range when it comes to that. Yeah, he plays evil well. So if this yes. character's evil, <laughs> I'm sure he can handle it. Everything from James Bond to Doctor Strange, I think he can really like show off evil with actually having a, a big backstory as well. Well, and he's in one of my favorite like uh, television series in the last ten years, Hannibal. So, yes, I mean, Hannibal. He's fantastic in that. So I mean, he definitely needs to have more jobs. So you know, yes. give it to him. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe I'll actually watch it. Probably not. <laughs> Well, it'd be good to see him in something that he doesn't, like, die off in the first movie, too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, up next, some details have come out for A Quiet Place's third installment. Yes, yeah, so uh, it looks like it's going to be released in 2022. Uh, they have brought in Jeff Nichols, who will uh, write and direct the film. It is all solely based on the original idea from John Krasinski. Uh, you know, which we, we still haven't seen a uh, quiet place part two yet. So nope. that might be coming out in 2022 also. Uh, but right now, quiet place two is scheduled for April 23rd, 2021. We shall see. What was sad was when I read this news story, I had to actually look up to see if a quiet place two had already come out. Like I totally <laughs> forgot that it got totally fucking scrapped for COVID. Well, it was about to be released right it was supposed to come out uh -huh. in may originally i think or maybe exactly. or april so yeah no it definitely it was one of the first films actually to get like delayed so um it is what it is uh i don't know i there's no more details really about this and i really don't know much about jeff nichols i'm hoping that krasinski is also on as like an executive producer at least so he can, mm -hmm. can kind of guide the ship and make sure it, like stays true to the original essence of the first film at least i mean hopefully the sequel stays true to the original essence of the you know first film uh but we shall see uh but yeah no i mean Hey, I love the first film, and I'm excited that we're going to get more of these. We'll see if I feel the same way after the second one, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird to talk about the third film when we haven't had a second one. I'm not going to exactly. lie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just put on VOD. Come on. <laughs> we need something to review, goddammit. <laughs> All right, well, up next, HBO's Peacemaker casts its first DC superhero. All right, so the character in question is uh, Vigilante. He's kind of a lower, like, tier DC character. I mean, at least in my estimation. But, you know, don't be offended. You know, Vigilante fans, I apologize. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, he actually, a version of the character appeared on the Arrow, like, TV show 
for a couple seasons, I believe. Uh, but anyway, he's going to be played by Chris Conrad in Oh Fuck, It's Peacemaker. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know. It, it should be fun. I'm really excited for this series. Uh, the Suicide Squad movie is going to be coming out August 6, 2021. So, we've got that to look forward to, hopefully. Um, mm. But yeah, no. I, I'm sure whatever, you know, the character's role is going to be, you know, James Gunn will make sure that it's, you know, fucking Exactly. I mean, that's the fun part about, you know, lower tier characters. You could do whatever the fuck you want with them, usually. <laughs> People so. are definitely more forgiving, you know, with exactly. a lower tier character. <laughs> and that's definitely the fun of a lot of, like, the Suicide Squad characters, you know. You could blow their heads off and, you know, no one's going to really blink an eye. They'll, they'll even cheer, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, fuck Polka Dot, man. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> I'm going to end up being like the biggest polka dot band fan. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna get a tattoo. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And some brief news notes. Uh, Netflix renewed the Umbrella Academy for a third season. And they thank God, because I'd be fucking furious if they did it. I mean, they've been canceling a lot of series like lately, a lot of good Mm. series. So I was a little concerned when they hadn't announced this yet. So I'm really happy to hear that. I love the first two seasons and I can't imagine them just cutting it off right there because it it was such a cliffhanger, you know, the way the second season ended. And also Spider-Man 3 uh, started shooting last week. So that's good news. We'll see if they can, you know, keep on shooting without any like COVID issues. Yes, because that would be a nightmare. Well, the first image that they posted was Spider-Man with a mask on, with a mask over yes, his mask. Yes, I saw that. So, <laughs> so it'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, God, they've got big things planned for that movie, so hmm. I can't imagine what that shoot's going to be like. You know, Sony has often tied in a lot of like current events with their Spider-Man films. Do you think that they would bring um, this pandemic to I it? think they've got enough going on in that film. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's okay to stay current and topical, but I, I, I'm okay with them, you know, just kind of looking past that and just telling the story that they want to tell. So I can't imagine like throwing a pandemic, like, you know, subplot in the middle of this movie, because it sounds like it has tons going on for it. So, oh, I'm totally picturing this quirky moment where he's telling, you know, MJ to stand six feet away, you know, so they can it talk. would work. <laughs> you know it would work but i just i feel like at a certain point with all the different characters they're bringing back for this film uh-huh. you know and all the huge rumors out there it just i don't know it's okay they could do it next film yes. if they want to <laughs> fair enough <laughs> oh and one more thing we got to mention is that wandavision is actually getting pushed back to january 15th so it seems like they're not going to make it for this year like they promised but it is what it is. We're used to it by now. But with that said, that does it for news. Damon, you saw a movie, yes, right? Yes, I saw the horror film, The Dark and the Wicked. And now, our feature presentation. Your mama, she was saying things. She would sit right beside him just whispering. But you weren't talking to him. We found it in her pocket. She didn't believe in God. What does it matter whether you believe? I found Mom's diary. What if she saw something out there? I told y'all not to come. 
On a secluded farm in a nondescript rural town, a man is slowly dying. His family gathers to mourn and soon a darkness grows. This was directed and written by Brian Bertino and stars Marin Ireland, Michael Abbott Jr. and Julie Oliver Touchstone. So I discovered this film in very old school fashion. Um, just like how back in the day you would like pick your next weekend rental from your local mom and pa store uh, solely based on the VHS box art. Well, this was pretty much the 2020 equivalent of that. Poster art popped up on an Instagram ad that just caught my eye, and I saw Brian Bertino's name listed as writer and director, so I was sold. I didn't even bother with the trailer, and I just decided to go ahead and like jump into the film blind. I mean, Bertino directed one of my favorite horror films of the last 20 years, The Strangers, and unfortunately since then, for some unknown reason, he hasn't really made tons of films. The only one I could think of off the top of my head is uh, The Monster, which should definitely be checked out. So anyway, I was really curious to see what he was up to, and man, I was not disappointed at all. So The Dark and the Wicked uh, is about two siblings returning home to a small farm after their ill father had taken a turn for the worse. Uh, he seemingly does not have much time left. Their mother's been taking care of them with the help of a nurse and absolutely does not want them there, but not for the reasons you would expect. The siblings soon start to become concerned for their mother, thinking it might all just be too much for her. But it's too little too late as tragedy strikes. Uh, so at the very start of this film, it very much is set up to be like an atmospheric psychological horror film, one that also doubles as a family drama. And while all those elements are definitely there and a big part of this movie, uh, what I wasn't expecting was the film's relentless pacing and just how fucking brutal and depraved it was going to get. Bertino does not let you up to breathe at all. After the tragedy that happens in the first like 15 minutes, we descend into a downward spiral that lasts the duration of the film. The siblings discover that there's something sinister that has infected their home and it's coming for their father. There's no rhyme or reason given, very much like mirroring the motives of the killers in Bertino's classic The Strangers. He effectively does away with the kind of conventional storytelling that you usually get with a film like this. There's no scene of people discovering some deep, dark family secret or like them scouring the internet for clues. We aren't getting some paint-by-number moment of exposition. It's all happening because it's just happening. Not knowing why actually makes the film feel more bleak, hopeless, and scary. Bertino relies on his craftsmanship as an artist to deliver the horror, using things like well-layered like sound designs and like a score that is truly unnerving, paired with like, you know, in-your-face nightmare-inducing imagery that will just haunt you for days. This film gets under your skin and then rips it off. Uh, he really knows how to build suspense, as we've seen in his previous efforts. And while, yes, the film has a decent amount of, like, jump scares, they're never cheap, and they're pretty much always effective. Like I said, I was absolutely not prepared for, like, how dark and twisted this film was gonna get. But, like, with that being said, the tone and the vibe of the movie is a big reason why it works so well. I mean, the cinematography is just beautiful, and how it, like, captures the mundane, rustic setting that really, like, builds the sense of isolation and dread that, like, drips from every frame. 
Bertino takes this grief-stricken family and uses their feelings of like guilt and responsibility to explore underneath the lens of horror. It reminded me a lot of another fantastic film we got this year, uh, Relic, which everyone should definitely seek out and see. But anyway, the performances are all great in this film, but the real standout is Marin Ireland, uh, who we saw earlier this year in The Umbrella Academy. Uh, she walks this fine line of being strong yet absolutely terrified throughout the entire film. I mean, she's just drowning in sorrow, and it's her reactions to this like demonic-like phenomenon that really anchors the film. I think... Overall, my only real issue with the film is just I wish it had maybe a scene or two before the shit really hits the fan where we get to know kind of like the dynamic between the siblings. I think it would have added a lot more like weight to everything that does eventually end up happening. Uh, I also think the ending was rather abrupt, but at the same time, I do feel like they stuck the landing. So um, obviously, I do recommend this movie. And I hope we get more offerings from Bertino sooner than later. I mean, he's such a talented director. But definitely give this a watch. Um, it's in limited theaters right now and on VOD. And really try going into it blind. I know I kind of ruined that experience <laughs> by giving this review. But it was definitely fun, you know, jumping into something and not having any expectations. Um, it's an experience that we don't get that much nowadays. We're so inundated with, like, multiple trailers and behind-the-scenes, like, interviews. Um, it was fun to have, like, very limited expectations going into this. And it really made me feel nostalgic for, like, back in the day when you just had to discover, like, you know, horror films on your own. Um, you know, it made it feel more special, oddly. But regardless of you seeing the trailer beforehand or not, I think this film is great. I think you'll think this film is great. Go support independent horror films. God knows they need it. And see the dark and the wicked. I really don't think you'll be disappointed. So based off what you've just said, I mean, I was thinking like as you were going through this, I was thinking hereditary in my mind, pretty much. Um, would you say that this is just kind of missing those like that first 10 minutes of that film where they kind of did the family characterization and stuff like that? I Yes, definitely. There is a lack of characterization with these characters. I mean, all we really know about them is them in this situation. Um, we don't get to experience what the relationship is like before, you know, everything, you know, happens. So, and I think if we got that experience and get to know them a little more, you know, I'm not asking for much, like maybe five, ten minutes. I think it would, you know, make, you know, everything that happens in the film mean even more. Um, but that being said, the film is still great regardless. So I think it, it doesn't like ruin the film that, you know, we didn't get that. I just think it would enhance it more if we did, if that makes any sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, consider me intrigued. Anyway, what would you give this as a grade? I'm going to give it an A minus. So I, oh, wow. I okay. it checked all the boxes for me as a horror fan. I really dug this film. Well, it's good to have a few more A's this year in general. Yeah, we're definitely in dire need. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely see this film. I think I think you'd like it personally. All right. Well, something I did like was I watched a show this week. Oh, what's that, Christian? I watched Ruby. Tell me about it. Atlas is only Salem's current target. Once she's done here, she'll move on to the rest of Remnant. There are people here who need us right now. We need to warn them. And let's go for both. Get Amity up and running and evacuate Mantle. 
Salem will destroy Atlas, and with it, any hope humanity has left. So it's been quite a while since I talked Ruby here on the show. Uh, last time I was reviewing Volume 5, and like many others, I wasn't too happy with that season. Uh, just, you know, choreography and fighting not really happening on screen um, during that final act. Uh, my girlfriend gets real tired every time, because uh, every year I do like a Ruby rewatch before the new season. And like every time Volume 5 comes around, I'm just complaining about the... Um, you know, the entire battle at the end, it just, it, it was a mess, uh, in my mind. But, you know, since then, you know, with six and seven coming up after that, those are two of my favorite volumes to ever come out at this point. Uh, I, after, you know, after this recent rewatch of watching volume seven again, I just realized how great of a season that was in general. Um, and it really just blew me away. And, you know, my, you know, love for Ruby has reignited tenfold. You know, the anticipation for this volume with the Battle of Atlas, it was all super high for me. Um, what we got from the first episode was dark and set the stage for what should be an incredibly dark chapter in our story. It was a fairly simple episode, you know, it gave you the needed exposition to explain why now, of all times, um, the gang is splitting up once more. Um, we were given some new interesting, like, headbutting moments as well between Team Ruby, which I thought was very interesting. Um, you know, I really did not expect to see Ruby or Yang in, in any type of confrontation. Uh, but it's, it's bound to happen. You know, we did see, you know, Yang snap at her once before, but not, not in this type of setting, I would say. You know, it really shows that our main villain, um, Salem is here and creating a divide needed to secure her victory. You know, that's her whole goal is, you know, creating divide between everyone. And that's something that we saw in last season. Now it's even more apparent here at this very first episode. Uh, we see Salem and Cinder reunite. It seems like um, we're going to be getting a little bit more of a backstory for Salem, which, of course, for me, raises a bunch of death flags in my mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the big things for every Ruby volume is, you know, the opening. I, I'm not a huge fan of the song so far, but maybe I just need to hear it in a better setting or hear it with headphones, um, you know, just to get a better grasp on it. But the, the actual, like, quality of the opening itself, the visuals is fucking awesome um i like I, I love all the different visuals we got um i love a lot of what we saw of penny in the opening as well you know just overall i'm super excited for this volume but at the same time terrified you know i'm seeing these death flags pop up here and there whether it be the trailer the opening <laughs> everything that happened last volume uh, i'm i'm praying to god that you know team juniper doesn't see a death this season every sign you know says hey one of these guys is going but i'm hoping that's a bait and switch you know i i don't want it to be too obvious when we're losing a member of the main teams um, i'm definitely part of that um you know group that believes that ruby's lo losing an eye herself you know i think she's going to be facing a ton of tragedy herself you know she's been one of the most protected characters throughout all the volumes you know she's she's had her moments but she hasn't been badly injured like any of the other um, main characters in team ruby so it should be interesting to see what you know what kind of things she faces i'm hoping to see um, a little bit of backstory for um, her mom summer you know that's something i've been looking for in one of these volumes for a long time when we got to see that flash of her last volume you know the only thing that was missing was a fucking weapon i want to see summer's weapon i want to know what she uses I, you know, I, I, maybe there's been something in a book and I'm just not aware of, but I have not seen anything of Summer Rose's weapon. 
that's definitely something I want to see, you know, what she was using back when she was still a huntress and still alive. <laughs> um, yeah, but overall, I, I'm super excited. This was a, this was a very simple episode. Um, you know, nothing too crazy happens. Um, you know, I was expecting a little bit more of a bang, uh, like maybe a fight or something to happen. But, you know, it set the stage. It, it was very dark and somber. Um, and hopefully we get something more um, in this upcoming episode that's coming out literally tomorrow or when after you've heard this. So um, definitely I'm going to be checking out the rest of the season. I'll be watching it like I do every single season. So definitely tune in when the season comes to an end because I'll be giving a big full review for everything that happened. All right. All right, Christian. So you actually saw another TV series this week. Yes, I've got plenty of time at home. So I'm just... Just watching things. What a loser. <laughs> yeah, I saw... <laughs> um, I saw the series Truth Seekers. You ever had a paranormal experience? This is my YouTube channel. Most haunted institute of the criminally... Insane. 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 I don't want anything to do with ghosts ever again. How? Oh, I think I'm being chased by ghosts. I saw a smoldering ghost. Can you help me? Something is not right. We need to find out what it is. You're just scratching the surface. There's a bigger world out there. You're in danger. These aren't just restless spirits. These are malevolent entities. Welcome, truth seekers. What an old ham. How long is this boring bastard going to be waffling on? Dad. A team of part-time paranormal investigators use homemade gizmos to track the supernatural, sharing their adventures online. As their haunted stakeouts become more and more terrifying, they begin to uncover an unimaginable apocalyptic conspiracy. This is created by Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, and stars Nick Frost, Malcolm McDowell, and Samson Kao, and I believe Simon Pegg. So with True Seekers, it really seemed like all of the marketing material was like really pushed on that Simon Pegg and Nick Frost angle. But at the end of the day, Truth Seekers was genuinely Frost's show. Um, in Truth Seekers, we follow Nick Frost's character, Gus, as he mentors a fellow tech support slash cable technician on the job fixing people's internet. Through each visit, we discover paranormal connections and mysteries as Gus's hobby um, comes into play, as he purposely goes to fix the internet in UK's most haunted destinations. Why? Because he's a YouTube paranormal investigator. Until our story begins, his most notable paranormal sighting was a video he had of a door slowly closing over nine hours. But everything changes when he brings the newly hired Elton John on with him <laughs> to one of his jobs. And yes, the character is named Elton John. The show is full of quirky jokes like that. But none of them really made me laugh hard. The humor was mundane at times, especially for the comedic duo of Frost and Peg, and um, who, quite frankly, only share uh, like maybe a fifth of the show on screen together. However, Nick Frost and co-star um, Samson uh, Ko, I believe is how you pronounce his name, um, who plays Ellen John, are a charming duo. Um, they really worked well together, and I, I definitely believed them as growing friends as the show went on. Um, there are definitely moments where the tone of the show itself feels kind of off. You know, there's tons of long stretches of lighthearted comedy, 
and then a large act of low-budget violence. <laughs> and I say low-budget violence because, you know, this show definitely didn't have much for effects. You know, um, the way that they show off souls are just kind of like random beams of, of green and blue light coming off of things and stuff like that. Um, you know, nothing too crazy. I think the most was a, like, um, doll that talked. And, you know, even when they zoomed in, it kind of looked kind of weird. And with that said, you know, there, the other aspect of the show is that it's, you know, paranormal horror. And you not really get too much of that either. Um, you know, he's his character is obsessed with, you know, the paranormal. But you never feel like this, like, stalking tension of a ghost or anything like that. Um, nothing's too scary ever in this show. The show's overarching mystery isn't too complicated to figure out either, um, leaving a lot of the key plot points predictable and the ending itself, without spoiling anything, comes off a bit easy for our main characters. I mean, to really sum it up for me, um, the show is, is very cute, it's very simple, and a lot of fun. Not something I could see like getting a lot of traction um, with fans of either Simon Pegg or um, Nick Frost. Um, you know, I, I, I think there was a lot of merit there, but, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It was, it was an okay show. All right, man, so what grade would you give this? Uh, I'm going to give this show a C, a solid C. Uh, I'm not sure if I would have stuck with it to the end if I weren't planning to review it for our listeners. I got the sense that it would be one of those shows like you would kind of like settle on if there was just nothing better on television. Um, if anything, it's reliable enough to keep you entertained, but not clamoring for more. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. So this week was the launch of the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5. But just like how I am waiting before I purchase either console, I'm going to take a break from covering them this week. I mean... Honestly, uh, nothing out of the ordinary has come out for either of those consoles. Like, there's ones with issues. There's consoles running faster than the other. It's all the same stories that we see every single year with every console war that comes out. So, I'm going to take a break this week from talking about consoles. I'm going to talk about the two things I did check out this week, which was um, playing a game called Fuser and what came out of the AEW Games event. So, to jump right into it, this last Tuesday, I picked up Harmon X's next big music game, Fuser. Um, taking some of the tech from their drop mix board game, Fuser takes DJ mashups to the next level, allowing you to create your own mixes. Um, from the beginning, I was a little, a little bit skeptical of this game as I wasn't hearing much about it from anyone or anywhere. Uh, but the gameplay itself, from what I had seen, looked super fun. And I can report to you that, really, it, it is super fucking fun. Uh, it's super fluid and intuitive, and uh, with that, you know, that, that sense of easy to pick up, but difficult to master. Um, there's nothing more satisfying than creating a mix that just works. And to be honest, there's very few songs that don't work together in this game. Harmon X did a great job of blending and, dare I say, harmonizing all of these wildly different genres. I gotta say, I am pretty impressed by the experience, but I can also see where it might get repetitive and maybe even old at some point but with the promise of continuous dlc similar to what we've seen in guitar hero and rock band um, you know for new tracks it's possible to have endless new mixes um, i know that like when i have some downtime in between you know while i'm waiting for a video to finish exporting or something like that it's easy to just load up and start fucking around in the game it's very fun to play as well so it's it's just something i've, I've been really enjoying 
Um, you know, while I'm not saying it's a must buy, I definitely think if you're on the edge of getting it, you might as well. Um, otherwise, it's definitely, I don't know if it, if it reaches that, you know, $60 in my mind just yet. Like, I think it's more of a $40 title if you really ask me. But at the same time, you know, I think with enough elements in it, like, with enough... See, that's that's the problem, you know? When, when, you, when in my mind I'm relying on, like, DLC to make this game even more exciting, you know, that brings down, I think, some of the value of the game. Um, like, when I'm thinking, oh, you know, they'll probably add more gear sometime and they'll add more songs and stuff like that, you know, that's all stuff I'm going to have to pay for later. So, I mean, just put that into your minds before picking up the game. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to have fun while playing. If you're into music games, I definitely think you'll enjoy it. Um, it's it's the next best thing since, you know, Rock Band came out for Harmon X. I even enjoyed DJ Hero and stuff like that. So, you know, I was super into this game. I love mashup songs, so it's definitely, you know, something I'm super into. Also, on that same Tuesday, we got our, you know, we got our first look at AEW's games and what they're working on. Um, and what we saw from from the most part was that they're working with Ukes on making their um, console debut. Um, you know, the game that they showed off, um, you know, it has that kind of cartoonish style that you might have expected from an earlier WWE game. You know, somewhere around like New, No Mercy and stuff like that, which definitely gets a lot of people excited because that's what people want to be playing again. You know, um, No Mercy was such a great game in lots of people's minds. You know, I, I was a big Here Comes the Pain kind of kid, and I was, you know, super into, you know, SmackDown versus Raw up till like 2008 and everything. So, you know, I was, you know, these old games were so well put together, and, you know, you were able to do so much and so much creativity. You know, the, I'm not gonna lie, There's, there was always some faults, you know, but they were there were always a lot of things you could do, you know, creating your own moves, um, managing rosters gm mode all that stuff you know Ukes put out these great games back then um and then they kind of dropped those engines they you know they let stuff you know slip through the cracks pretty much and when 2k took over you know all anything that was before just kind of was washed away um and we really just lost you know a lot of the, the fun aspects of what made a wrestling game you know unique and fun and you know personal because when you're able to create so much in a wrestling game it, it becomes more like your own creation you know when you create things you love it more and i think a lot of people like miss those days like i remember the creator wrestling community is still huge like there's i i know like smackdownhotel.com and stuff like that you know, still operate and still run and you know they're talking about like how to make different stars and games that often look better than the the characters that they put in these 2k wwe games uh, we know we saw a big break this year for 2K because they just, um, <laughs> that 2019 was just such a fucking mess of a game. It, it, they needed to stop. <laughs> and I know Vince doesn't give two shits about the WWE brand and video game form. So, I mean, that that being said, what we did see from the AEW side was exciting because we're getting back. It seems what we're going back to those roots that made wrestling games more fun. And you know Kenny Omega is a massive gamer and a massive fan of video games and stuff like that. And he's been talking nonstop about wanting to make something more what we used to get um, and bring it to the modern era. And I think that's big. Um, they did show off two mobile games. Um, th those weren't too impressive in my mind. Um, one was a casino game, which they didn't actually show any footage of the actual game. They just show people 
at a casino. Um, and I'm imagining it's just going to be like a gotcha system game or something like that. It's just going to be a casino game, like any other casino game. Um, the other one was a GM mode type game. But what they showed off of the animation in it was just kind of lackluster. You know, they weren't like actually doing moves. They're just kind of sliding and hitting each other. Um, not even like an animation for punching. It was just like, shoom, he slid and hit him and lose points and stuff like that. But I mean, I guess the whole point is more of the um, character management and stuff like that. Like, how are you going to handle, you know, your wrestlers and stuff like that? So we'll, we'll see, like, if the any, like, when that game comes out, you know, how much they really thought about the background stuff that you're allowed to do. So I mean, that's what makes GM mode fun. Like a lot of people just simulate fucking matches and most of like like uh, SmackDown versus Raw 2008 and stuff like that. You know, you're able to just skip the matches. So I mean. If it just comes down to spreadsheets and stuff like that, and it, and it looks and it, it works and looks how you know old GM modes did, I can totally see that working. I mean, but there are other you know mobile games out there that already are just like GM mode in the past, and you get to see the wrestlers actually fight each other and stuff like that, or even control them um, and play as them. So you know, there's. So I, I guess I was just a little bit underwhelmed when I, you know, when those first leaks came out um, that same day and they were showing off a GM mode that was separate, that was a separate game. I guess I was expecting something bigger. I didn't expect it to be a mobile experience. I tried not to read too much before the actual event that happened because I wanted to, you know, have genuine reactions for you guys when I did my live reaction stream. And that that's still up on Twitch if you want to check that out. Uh, you can see me reacting to what they were showing off at the time. Um, so definitely uh, make sure that you're following us on Twitch because yeah, you missed out on my big Fuser <laughs> debut um, stream and uh, my AEW reactions this last Tuesday if you weren't following us. Um, especially since I didn't like announce that I was doing those beforehand unless you were actually watching me on stream last weekend. That's when I actually talked about it. So yeah, make sure that you're actually following me on Twitch um, and or catching the replays of things that I cut down on our YouTube channel. Um, the Amazing Nerd Show is on YouTube, it's on Twitch. We we do stuff every single weekend, so definitely check us out there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited for the future of wrestling games. Um, I do hope that they polish. I, I'm not too much of a fan of going back to a cartoonist look. I want maybe something a little bit more realistic looking, but I want it to feel like those old games. Like I want, I want next gen you know, no mercy and stuff like that. That's what I want. You know, I don't want it to look too cartoony, but I mean, that's, if that's what gets the nostalgia button, that's what it is, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's, those are my main thoughts so far on the AEW games. I'm going to be, you know, covering that story as we go on. Um, you know, it's definitely something exciting to me. Uh, I'm going to keep up with the news for you guys. All right. Now let's get on to some actual wrestling and, and actually some more AEW because we're going to review um, Full Gear that everyone kind of expected from me. See, I've heard the whispers. I've heard the chatter backstage. Where's the cleaner? Where's the best belt machine? Where's that Kenny Omega that we saw in New Japan? The one that gave five, six, seven star matches. Well, I think I've proven with the result of the Eliminator Tournament that I've never really left. It's just that I'm ready to reassume that role. I'm ready to reassume my responsibility of being the best in the world. So, Christian, this past weekend, we had AEW's Full Gear. Uh, Matt, what were your overall thoughts of, the, you know, the pay-per-view? You know, I, I didn't expect too much to happen at this pay-per-view this year. Um, you know, like, my predictions 
we're like we're barely going to get any title changes. You know? Big shocker. Uh, and and the, exactly, they they gave us a huge card with tons of new things to happen, and I was super excited. Yeah, when this pay per view ended, I just had a huge smile on my face. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's AEW's best pay per view to date. Uh, I think they did a great job of just paying off a lot of these storylines. And they did a great job of, like, building them up. Um, so I mm. was really surprised. Like, top from bottom, I thought, you know, there wasn't a bad match on the card, really. See, I think I'm a little biased because I was there at a, a hot Chicago crowd at Revolution. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> so that's definitely one of my you know favorites. What also was a huge but, uh, factor for me was actually having mm. a bigger audience for this pay-per-view. So they had they had That's a thousand true. people in the crowd this time. And you could tell like okay. audio wise, mm-hmm. you know, there was actually like, you know, big pops happening and everything, especially like the first half of the show. The end, it felt like they got a little tired, but like the first half of the show, it was electric. Like I forgot how much I missed like having a crowd there in person. So, David, did you actually watch the pre-show like you I said you would? I actually watched the pre-show or the buy-in, whatever they're calling it nowadays. Um, yes. <laughs> it was a good match. Uh, I really enjoy Serena Deeb, um, and I hope they end up signing Allison K. I was underneath the um, impression that they did, but I guess they haven't. Um, they just have kind of a you know working like agreement right now. But I love this partnership with NWA. At the end of the match, uh, Thunder Rosa showed up to challenge Serena Deeb. But, you know, this was one of the better, like, AEW women's matches that we've had in a long time. So, I mean, more of this. Please. Yeah, unfortunately, I missed the match. But uh, I did start off the card with Kenny Omega defeating Hangman Adam Page. I, I really love this match. And I thought it was a great way to start off the card. I mean, they just hit the fucking ground running. Um, just an intense pace to start things off. Uh, they really told a good story of like how well they know each other. I thought that was important. And this felt like a G1 caliber type of match. Um, I was definitely afraid that there was going to be um, like multiple finishes mm-hmm. at the end. Um, like when he was fighting the um, one wing angel, I thought, oh, he's going to kick out of this. But no, it was it was one and done. Well, and I thought that was I mean, a great that way would of- be because no one's ever kicked out of it. So I don't uh-huh. I, <laughs> if anyone I, I could imagine hanging on a page doing, but maybe yes, at a later. I think a bigger date. if that ever happens, <laughs> I think it's going to be like a bigger match. Not not saying that this mm. wasn't a big match, but, you know, it's going to be like for a title or something like that. He's definitely protected that move really well at this point. I love how um, Hangman was fighting it off, though. I thought that was awesome. So because I thought he was yes. definitely going to escape it. Um, you know, I, 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 I won't lie. I was a little disappointed. I only went 16 minutes. It could have gone another five minutes at least for me, but, um, I thought it was a great way to start off the pay-per-view and I'm really interested to see what they do with hangman. Now, um, we know Kenny is going to be, um, challenging John Moxley at the December 2nd show. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday mm-hmm. after dynamite. So, um, that's exciting. I really do hope Omega ends up capturing the title from Moxley. Not that I have a problem with Moxley's reign, but I, I would like to see a new chapter for the company at this point. And I want to see where Omega's storyline is going. Because on this pay-per-view, he was definitely acting much more like a face all of a sudden. You know, entrance yeah. aside, because um, his entrance is still obnoxious, which is great. Um, you know, him coming out and celebrating with the Bucks and everything and it just it felt like okay wait we're all sudden a baby face again 
It's a yeah. That it was a little weird. So that that's <laughs> concerning. But I feel like they probably have a bigger story to tell here, especially with Hangman like lurking in the background. But we'll get to that later on. Uh, this was a fantastic match. Well, up next we had Orange Cassidy defeating John Silver. I. I love John Silver. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> um, you know, not just as a character, but I like his style in the ring. I did feel like he stalled a little too much in the very beginning of this match. I don't know if there was some like nerves and stuff like that. He just kept on playing to the crowd too much. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But when he hits like that next gear, like he's just fucking intense. Like he's like Daniel Bryan on fucking crack. Like the way he's like just <laughs> firing off moves and everything like that. He's so fluid for, you know, like his size mm-hmm. and everything. Cause I mean, he's short, but he's a stout dude. I thought him and Cassidy really like played well off of each other. Yeah. I mean, I thought Silver actually stole the match for me uh, in general. Like I thought he stole my attention away from Cassidy a bit. And I actually want to see way more from Silver now and going I think- forward. And I think we'll probably get that. But. Yeah, I think the match was actually designed to showcase him more because he hasn't had mm-hmm. many like huge like marquee matches on Dynamite or you know on pay per view. Obviously, this is his first match on pay per view, and I think I've only seen a couple tag matches with him on Dynamite, honestly. So um, it's just yeah. like recently with his like you know, popularity on like BTE. Um, I think even Tony Khan is like talked about it where he had to like pull Silver aside. He's like. Like, I'm hearing great things about you on BTE. We need to see that translate on the actual show. We need more of that. Mm -hmm. We don't want you just to be like, you know, a faceless, you know, you know, thug, you know, for, you know, the Dark Order. We want to see that personality come out. So he's definitely getting more comfortable, like, displaying that on Dynamite now. Absolutely. And if anything, the Dark Order needs a little bit more personality in it. Well, that's the thing. On fucking BTE, they're all personality. Like, if you watch BTE, they're hilarious. Mm. So, I mean, I, hopefully they're able to translate that, you know, onto Dynamite. Because a lot of those guys are fucking hilarious, like I said. All right. Uh, up next, we have Darby Allen defeating Cody Rhodes for the AEW TNT Championship. I thought this was great storytelling. Um, I love that we finally get a payoff for, you know, this, like, feud that's been lasting, you know, the first year of Dynamite, pretty much. I mean, it was very early on, on like the you know in the beginning of the show where Cody faced Darby Allen, um, and we got that like time limit draw, and they faced each other a couple times since then. But I like that like one of the younger uh, wrestlers on the show now is finally getting an opportunity, and that you know they've really been like slowly pushing each one of these guys, um, and. I love that Darby Allen is the first one to capture gold here. Because if you think about it, it's kind of been like either, you know, the bigger name AEW guys or former WWE guys, you know, with the titles. Um, but now Darby Allen's kind of like the first, like, crop of, like, new guys. I know they're calling them rookies, but Darby Allen's been wrestling for, you know, a handful no, of years. Yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> weird. But Cody has been referring to them as rookies. And I think that's kind of like MJF. Jungle Boy, Darby Allen, like they're all kind of like grouped together. So, but they've done such an awesome job of like, you know, building up these characters and it just made perfect sense and was the right time to give Darby, you know, the belt. No, I thought it was an excellent match. Um, I'm not a big fan of roll-ups ever, but you know, I still enjoy it. You know what? (laughs) I liked that it was in that kind of chain sequence. Because you don't mm-hmm. get that much. And it, it just, once again, tells that story that they're so evenly matched. 
which they've been talking, you know, they've been showing us throughout their little, like, you know, feud that's been stretched out over the year. Um, that, they, you know, Cody just kind of gets past him and everything. And this time, Cody got, you know, stuck. So I, I like that. Uh, I will say, you know, Cody obviously has gotten bigger. Uh, I, you know, it wasn't more apparent until I saw Darby yes. Allen stand next to yes. him. Yes, they said he put on like 14 pounds of muscle, and it definitely shows. Who's this kid in the ring with Cody? No, Rhodes? no, and it is like I think Darby faced Moxley. Um, you know, in like the first month or two of AEW, and I, you know, he'd been wrestling Cody for a little bit at that point, and I had uh-huh. no idea how small he actually was. <laughs> and Cody's, I mean, Cody's over six feet tall, I believe, but uh-huh. it, it, his frame at the time, especially, wasn't huge. But like Darby next to Moxley, it does look like he brought his kid to work, you know. So, <laughs> um, do you think Cody's putting on the weight? Because it sounds like he's going to be facing off against Shaq in the near future. Well, he's definitely going to need uh, the, the muscle mass to carry that <laughs> match. <laughs> what the fuck? So, I mean, if you haven't seen Dynamite, which at this point, this episode drops on Friday. I'm sure you have. Uh, they teased a Cody versus Shaq match out of nowhere. This feels like right. it's something being forced on them by, like, maybe TNT. <laughs> since you know Shaq is one of their talents Shaq has always uh, been interested in wrestling there's that rumor for a long time that he was going to face off against the big show at Wrestlemania um that made more sense than this uh I, I don't know we'll see where it goes um Cody did mention that he wasn't going to go after the TNT title for a while uh Team Taz attacked him and Darby later on so maybe that's going to be the feud uh, I think that'd be a fun match, though. Uh, Brian Cage versus Cody, you know, that's something we haven't seen yet. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. or even Darby versus Cage. Um, speaking of that, where was the Nightmare Family while all this was happening? Yeah, you know, like while he's I being don't attacked, know. <laughs> yeah, especially on the pay per view, right? Because they do, they, they get uh-huh. attacked on the pay per view, and then they go to the back and they're interviewing uh, the Nightmare Family, uh, Goldust and uh, exactly. what's his name. So, yeah, that was a little weird. That I, I hate like when that shit happens, that always annoys me right away. It's like, well, why weren't you out there? Like I you could play it off if it was like a segment or two later, maybe they were out in the back or they you know, they they were unaware for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would think they would be watching Cody's match also, right? <laughs> Especially since he came out with like twenty of them. Which I still uh-huh. don't get. I did like that though, that dynamic between them like like darby's all alone and there's cody with his giant entourage of people surrounding him uh so i thought that was a nice real like parallel that they're playing with all right so up next we have sheeta defeating nyla rose to retain her AEW women's world championship i thought this was a good match uh they went a little too long at one point it it seems like they got lost or something at the very end and they decide like i don't know if something got botched but then they decided to keep on going and I feel like that hurt the match overall, um, mm. you know, because the last, I want to say the last three or four minutes was kind of clunky, and it seemed like they were just a little off. Uh, but overall, I did enjoy the match. I wish there was a better buildup for it, though. It seems like they just kind of forgot yeah. <laughs> about it, you know, over the last, like, month or so, uh, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um, right now, I feel like there's more an emphasis on the NWA women's title for some reason. So, yeah, they definitely have been like spotlighting that yeah. more. 
which is unfortunate for she because I mean, she has a great talent. I think this match was one of their better like encounters so far. But I mean, it was again just Nyla Rose versus she. We've seen We've it. Seen too it. Much. You know, we really we, have. You're yeah. right. Um, so they definitely need to find more, you know, challengers for Sheeta. So, and maybe it's going to be Serena Deeb. You know, maybe we get another like title versus title match, or you know, even Allison K or Thunder Rosa again, because that was a great match. Bring in Thunder Rosa, God damn it! <laughs> All right, up next we have the Young Bucks defeating FTR to finally win the AEW World Tag Team Championship. While I wasn't a huge fan of the build for this, you know, match. I've got to say, like, this was an instant classic. I thought this was a phenomenal match. Um, I was not disappointed. That's seen a lot because you've got, like, what, like three years of hype for this for this match? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they definitely delivered here. I think it's probably one of my top matches of the year at this point. Um, I just feel like they clicked on all cylinders. Um, I love the storytelling in this match where they like all honored, you know, past tag teams. Um, I love how Matt was selling his, uh, his ankle. Um, I thought that was really well done. And I love how they got caught at the end, you know, when all of a sudden the guys who are all about fists try to do a flip, you know, and they execute it really well. (laughs) It ends up costing them the match. So I want to see where they go from here, and I want more rematches. So, because AEW definitely does not do many rematches, which I do enjoy. But like, I was like, man, don't fucking go away from this for another six months. Like, I need, I need a rematch, like December second, whenever Kenny's, you know, facing Moxley. Give me something here. Uh no, I gotta say, like every time I see FTR go to the air. They actually seem like they really know what they're doing mm-hmm. in the air <laughs> for people that are against flips. Yeah. Well, I think they <laughs> probably started off wrestling in that style. And then they probably, probably, you know, went ahead and decided, no, this is our thing. This is the style we want to do. So I'm sure that they can execute that. Um, but, man, it, it was a great way to finish that match. It was so poetic. <laughs> I loved it. Uh he, made, he he gave Matt Seidel a run for his money there with that 450. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and yeah, at, at the end of the match, um, we did have Kenny coming out to help celebrate. I was expecting like a big turn right there. So that I was I was a little thrown off when it was just like they're all celebrating. And then you see um, Adam Page standing in the doorway yeah. a little bit. Um, the the announcers almost miss it. I think someone definitely told them in their ear. Well, I think that was on purpose. I think they wanted to be subtle. You know, that's the way I took it. I could be wrong. Um, but I felt like it was supposed to be really subtle. So, um, the Kenny thing, I under like, I like long form storytelling, but just with everything that happened with the Young Bucks recently, with them kind of being this weird, you know, this weird heel turn that wasn't really a heel turn, Mm -hmm. I don't want more of that. Like, I, I want, you know, I want baby faces. I want heels. Like, if Kenny's going to be a heel, let's not fucking drag our feet. Let's just get there already. So I don't want this to play out for another, like, three months. Um, So we'll see. We'll see if that, you know, is the case here. Because um, it definitely felt like he was way on his way of being a heel. You know, maybe not with his interactions yeah. <laughs> with the Young Bucks, but at least, you know, his entrance and the way he was treating all the wrestlers. So, um, but we'll see how it plays out. If uh, Moxley introduces um, thumbtacks to their next match, I want the um, cleaner girls to come out and just swipe, wipe it away. <laughs> uh, 
that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I definitely feel like that match is like I think Kenny is gonna like call for a straight wrestling match, especially since the yes. way he wouldn't like step in the ring with Moxley mm-hmm. um, at the end. So, but I don't know. But no, this was a fantastic match. Like I said, probably one of the best matches of the year. All right. Uh, up next, we had Matt Hardy defeating Sammy Guevara in the Elite Deletion match. So this was kind of like the greatest hits of like the Hardy compound, I felt like. I was expecting a little more. I don't know if they felt like they mm-hmm. needed to establish this style of match for like an AEW like audience. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was, like I said, I felt like it was like, you know, we've seen it all before. So I, hopefully if they do a match like this again, they bring something new to the table. And I feel like Hardy will. Um, but this match was just kind of there for me. I, I'm glad that, you know, this feud is now done with, <laughs> though. I mean, it was entertaining at times. I, I do feel like it went on maybe five minutes too long, though. Uh, I don't know. I was just expecting a little more, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, the gags throughout didn't really do too much for me. I think I got into the match as soon as they got, you know, into the hangar. Um, that's when I started to actually, like, pay attention more and, you know, find yeah. it more interesting. Everything else, like with uh, Hurricane Helms and Gangrel showing up, and it's just like I, ah, I popped a I little for Gangrel. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, he still got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just fun to see him and everything like that. It, was, it is nice, uh-huh. a nice tie-in because you know Hardy was part of the new brood for you know a short period of time, so uh-huh. that was kind of fun. Um, and I love that they decided to tie up the storyline of Hurricane you know, being there and everything. Cause that happened in WWE. So I, I like that. Uh. He was still handcuffed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was what it was. It was entertaining for the most part, but I don't know. I was just, all right. And for the inner circle, MGF defeated Chris Jericho to become a new member. So for the most part, I enjoyed this match. I thought the crowd kind of hurt it because they were a little, I don't know. They're a little lackluster. You could tell that they were getting tired mm. at this point. Um, but I thought overall it was a good match. I like the ending of it. I like that MJF like outfoxed him. Jericho saves some kind of face. He can respect mm-hmm. what MJF was able to like pull over him, um, you know, and like greet him into the inner circle. Because I was gonna say like if he just beats the shit out of him and pins him, then I don't see Jericho accepting him into the inner circle. I feel like you'd always have that tension there. But since he it was kind of a fluke kind of win. Where, you know, he kind of, you know, just, I don't know, out-healed him, for the lack of a better term. Um, I think Jericho can, you know, bring him into the the group. And storyline-wise, it makes sense for Jericho. Um, we saw <laughs> the induction of, the you know, him into the inner circle on Dynamite this week. I was surprised that Wardlow is actually a full member of the group also. I thought, you know, maybe they would use this as an opportunity to cut ties between him and MJF. But they're treating him like a full-fledged member. So, uh, but MJF uh, bought them all tickets to Vegas. It seems like next episode they're all going to be in Vegas, and that's going to be their hijinks and everything. Sammy uh, got lost. Um, he claims that MJF did not send him an email. I guess um, told him to go to the <laughs> beach at first, and then he never got the you know new instructions to show up at you know the stadium. So. Uh, that's definitely going to end up being a thing later on down the line. I'm sure we're going to get a match out of it sooner than later. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely think they're going to do a Wardlow versus Hagar match Two. at some no, point. Hagar on this episode of Dynamite seemed a lot more accepting of MJF into the inner circle, which I thought was odd. Hmm. They were still kind of eyeing each other, but he was definitely celebrating MJF being part of the group now. Okay. Well, I mean, if that's how yeah, they want I, to play. But, it, but I agree with you. Eventually, they're going to butt heads. Uh-huh. All right. Well, last but not least, we had John Moxley defeating Eddie Kingston and an I quit match for the AEW World Championship. I thought the story was great in this match. I just wasn't a huge fan of the match itself. I don't know how you felt about it. I, I See, was all about it. <laughs> I'm just, I, was I think into it. maybe these matches aren't my cup of tea anymore. And it just felt too uh-huh. proppy where they're just going from weapon to weapon. And there wasn't enough like psychology there for me. Um, but that's just me. I, I, I love all the promos leading up to this. You know, I enjoyed mm-hmm. like different spots and everything. I love the thumbtacks and fucking Moxley's head. It's just like the in-between parts. You know, I, I don't know. I found myself getting kind of like complacent. Like, I, I just I think I need a little more than just a weapons match nowadays. See, I was getting really into Eddie's like movements and how he was reacting to mm-hmm. each thing. Because I was, I thought he was telling a great story, and like you were seeing, you know, the gears twist in his head with each, you know, decision he was trying to make up against a guy that can really take pretty much any damage. He's that great you throw at, at selling. So, don't get me wrong; it's just like yeah. those. I don't know. Like it's how we got to those points is what I. I did like the fact that it wasn't your typical I quit match where they're stopping mm-hmm. the momentum of the match every like two minutes. With a microphone in the guy's face saying, oh, do you quit? Because yes. <laughs> we got that with Reigns and uh, Jimmy Uso recently, um, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of that. I think Uso hit a fucking splash on Reigns, and we got a spot with the referee asking if he quit. I was like, what? <laughs> From a top row splash? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> um, so I, I did like that aspect of it. It's just, I don't know, man. I, I think I... Maybe I'm getting older. <laughs> this is from a lifelong like ECW <laughs> fan, but I just I, I, True. I, I I've just I don't know. I've seen a lot of this before, and I was expecting a little more like minutia between like you know all the weapon spots. But like I said, I did like the storytelling of the match, and I like how it ended. You know, with you know once again Moxley calling his shot. He told Eddie to like watch his neck, and of course he ends up mm. choking him out using the barbed wire, like you know, wrapped around his fucking throat. I guess he didn't actually pass out, but you know, it ended up causing him to submit. Um, Eddie just seemed completely despondent. I like that Moxley goes to actually help him out, and like he refuses the handshake or the help. Um, you know, still staying heel, even though I feel like they'll eventually probably turn him because the crowd's getting really into him. Um, tonight on Dynamite, when he came out, um, everyone was chanting for him, and he completely like rebuked it. Like, I don't need you chanting my name, you know. And he was definitely, <laughs> you know, back to heel Eddie Kingston. So, because I was wondering after this match, I was like, oh, are they going to turn him face? Because he's definitely over right now. Um, you know, it's such great storytelling on their part, like for the build of this match. Like I said in the beginning, like I. If you told me after their first match that we we're going to get a rematch at the pay-per-view for this, I've been like, wait, what? We're treading water. We've already seen this. I don't need to see this again. But their promos leading up to this was so fucking just phenomenal. Like some of the best promos in the past mm. like couple years. Um, I was sold. Even though I didn't think Kingston was going to end up winning this match. You know, I was like, all right, I'm on board with this. I want to see what they do. And like it, the match was fine for what it was. I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess I was expecting a little more storytelling in between all the weapons. 
So, but that's just me. And maybe, like I said, I might just be getting a little fickle in my old age. <laughs> um, I mean, that's fair to say. I, I would be interested in seeing Kingston go up against um, Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. I think they would have a great story. He's definitely together. A, a player now. Like, I feel like he definitely mm-hmm. belongs in that kind of like, I don't know, upper echelon of AEW guys, which is crazy to say since he's had such a like short <laughs> run with the company. But you think uh-huh. about that match against Cody and how phenomenal that was when he came out and mm-hmm. everything and that promo he cut beforehand. And then everything with Moxley, he belongs there, man. I mean, he definitely he's great on um on commentary with the guys. Um, I love watching him piss off Jr. and and Shivani. <laughs> they have great chemistry together. So um, you know, and tonight what we saw, we saw you know him being a heel again, and he's definitely fa- favoring uh Pentagon over Phoenix. Uh, they had a great match. They were tearing each other apart. I thought the commentators did a fantastic job of telling the story and really like pinpointing that Eddie is really to blame for the two brothers like feuding and really pushing on that. Um, at the end of the match, fucking Pentagon like kills Phoenix with like multiple fucking cradle pile drivers, one on the apron, one on the outside, on top of a Canadian destroyer. Um, and then we see at the end of the match, after Pentagon gets the win, um, you know, uh, Kingston come out and just like kind of kick Phoenix aside. So he's definitely favoring Pentagon. I don't know where that would be going um, if he just feels like mm-hmm. he doesn't need the brother, you know, there. Um, but then all of a sudden, Pac made his big return, which, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. We saw the promo last week, but no one was quite sure if he was actually in the States, but apparently they somehow got him across without anyone knowing. So um, I think that's huge. I don't know where they're going because they're both dastardly (laughs) heels. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I guess Pac would be the baby face here, um, which is strange. But no, <laughs> it's strange. But maybe they're fighting for the faction. I guess, um, I guess I know because they were with the was it the evil triangle? What the hell was the name of the group? I don't even remember, man. Was death, triangle, death triangle. Yes, I believe something? it was death triangle. I liked the idea of the group. I mean, the names, eh, but uh-huh. you know, whatever. It it can grow on you. Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I just don't know what Kingston's motives would be to break up pentagon and phoenix unless he wants to tag with pentagon or something so i mean i'm gonna watch that phoenix versus Kingston match yeah for sure well and fucking watch the uh the phoenix versus uh pentagon match because they're just absolutely the first one they're like tearing each other's masks and everything Mm -hmm. like that and shivani does a great job on the call really selling like how much that matters that they're trying to unmask each other like what a big deal that is you know, in Mexico, mm-hmm. that's a fucking DQ, which I totally forgot about, but they bring that up multiple times. So, um, but yeah, no, I, definitely check out Dynamite this week. It was a great, like, after show. All right. Well, with that said, what would you give this as a star rating? So I'm going to go ahead and give this four stars and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Just that close to five stars. Um, sure. <laughs> just because I was a little disappointed with the Moxley Kingston match, um, but I still enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it four stars and three quarters. I thought this was the accumulation of some great storytelling, and I hope we get more pay-per-views like this from AEW. 
Uh, I'm going to give it four and a half. I was only, you know, lukewarm on two matches during this entire um, show, uh, but everything else was burning hot, and I enjoyed every minute All of it. Right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Make sure to head over to DramaCityProductions.com, where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts. That's right, and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. And if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, tell a friend. All right, that does it. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that's the Amazing Nerd Show. You're going to care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse.